0: Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 20, verses, 20, uh, verses 32 to 38. Uh, the passage has already been read, so I hope that passage is stuck in your mind right now. But uh, I recall I was at a time when, many years ago, a friend asked me a question, and that is if you could preach a last sermon at your church, which text would it be? And without skipping a heartbeat, I told him, well, it will be Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38. Now, don't worry, this is not my farewell message to you. So just wanna, I just want to point that out because I always find this passage to be so thrilling to me, so convicting, so profound as we understand Paul's lessons on ministry as part of his farewell message. Well, since we have spent three Sundays unfolding this passage, I think it's good for me to begin by reminding you of the context of the story in case you forgot about the story or in case you're new to this church. You see, this is Paul's third missionary journey. This is Paul's third missionary journey. You may remember, as we've been going through Acts that he had a first missionary journey, which began back in Acts 13 all the way to 14. And he had a second missionary journey, which began from maybe around the end of Acts 15 until near the end of Acts 18. And his third missionary journey started in Acts 19. And so we're right now in the middle of his third missionary journey. And his third missionary journey was primarily situated in Ephesus where he spent three years, three years ministering in that city. And after his ministry in Ephesus, Paul traveled around the regions visiting the churches, the churches in Macedonia, in Greece, that he planted on his second missionary journey, beginning at Acts 20. So he visited those churches. And not only did he go there to encourage and build up the churches in the faith, He was also collecting financial funds, if you remember. He was collecting financial funds that would be given to the Jerusalem church that was suffering uh, from poverty and persecution. And so Paul's destination here in his third missionary journey would be Jerusalem. And once he arrives, Jerusalem, that will be the end of his journey. And so after much traveling he wanted to meet with the Ephesian elders in Miletus to give his farewell message because he would he would not see them again. And what's fascinating as I was studying I recently learned that this was the only recorded sermon by Luke that Paul gave to the Christians particularly to the church elders. You see, all the other recorded sermons from Paul were given to non-believers. They were more evangelistic, uh, more focused on telling non-believers to repent and to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so here, Paul has a very different message for the the elders. Paul's farewell message can be summarized in three ways. First, Paul knew that when he arrives in Jerusalem... He would suffer. He would be in prison because the Holy Spirit made it known to him. And so he tells them about that news. And second, uh, Paul has a lot of gold nuggets of truth when it comes to church ministry and leadership based on his example. And so he reminds the elders of what he did when he was in their midst. And third, Paul gave a charge to the pastors, elders, overseers. And we learned about this last Sunday, uh, that their responsibility was to beware of their own spiritual well-being and shepherd and care for the flock of God. And he also warns them of the future danger of false teachers when he's gone from the church of Ephesus. And so before we get into the exposition of God's word, let me try to review to you all of Paul's lessons of ministry that we have learned thus far. First is the lesson of selfless servanthood. Second is the lesson of tenacious teaching. Third, the lesson of evangelistic endeavor. Fourth, the lesson of sacrificial steadfastness. Fifth, the lesson of clear conscience. Sixth, the lesson of spiritual sensitivity. Seventh, the lesson of watchful warning. And so, from this message, I want to offer you three more lessons making it ten lessons in Paul's lessons on ministry. And certainly by the end of the sermon, I should be ready to write a book or a commentary on this passage. But first, let's go into the eighth lesson, shall we? And that is the lesson of exemplary entrustment. The exemplary entrustment. See, after Paul gave an exhortation to the elders about their duties and the future warnings, Uh, we can imagine that it must be a daunting task for the church leaders to keep the church healthy and pure. And Paul's warning and concern, they weren't unreasonable. But at the end of the day, we must remember that Paul wasn't experiencing some sort of anxiety. He wasn't paranoid over what the church may go through in the future. You see, while he may have a legitimate concern for the For the Ephesian church, he does not lose hope. He does not lose faith in God. You see, what you see here in verse 32, Paul commends the elders to God and to the word of his grace. Uh, The word to commend means to entrust, it means to set before. Uh, It carries a sense of putting someone into the care and protection of someone. You see, knowing the elder's task is difficult, Paul entrusts them into the care of God and the word of his grace. You see, in church ministry, we cannot be in complete control of everything that happens in the church. And even in the lives of the people that we, whom we serve, uh, there's only so much time we get to spend with people. We, we wish we would have been like Paul, he get to spend time with. The believers almost every day. But our culture and society is a bit different from that time. But as much as we can, we've got to spend more time together. But ultimately, we have to entrust people whom we serve to God. You see, after, at, at the very end of the service, you see me, you know, at the very end of our church service, I pronounce this thing called benediction. Benediction. We may often view the benediction as a prayer to somehow just wrap up the service and move on with life. But benediction is way more than that. It's way more than that. When I raise my hand and bless you, it's way more than just me saying a prayer for you, although it is a prayer. See, the benediction can be expressed in different ways in the Bible. And the word benediction just literally means to to invoke God's blessing upon you. To ask God to bless you as you go out. And not only that, I am sending you out into the world because you'll be in the mission field. Did you know that? You're in the mission field, in your workplace, in your schools, carrying the light of the gospel to your neighbors. And not only that, I am also entrusting you to God. Why? Why am I entrusting you to God? It's because as Jude 24 expresses, God is able to keep you from stumbling, And to present you blameless. He's able to present you blameless. While we while we may not see each other all the time throughout the week, God is able to give you peace. God is able to be gracious to you. He can. He will watch over you. So it's more than just uttering these words repeatedly on a Sunday morning. I am speaking the word of Christ into your soul. And Paul did the same thing here. He commends them to God. And not only that, he also did the same thing when he planted churches in his first missionary journey. Luke tells us in Acts 14, verses 21 to 23, I'll jump down to verse 23 for the sake of time, but it says this, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul and Barnabas committed them into the Lord's hands. So ultimately, the care of the church is not in the hands of the ministers and leaders, even though, yes, we do have responsibility to care for you. We do. But the ultimate care is in the hands of the sovereign God and in the grace of the Word of God. And now let's talk about Paul commending the elders into the Word of his grace. You see, earlier, earlier in verse 24, Paul talked about testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Let me briefly expound on that for a bit. Grace, what does that word mean? See, grace is often defined as God's unmerited favor upon a sinner. And it is a good definition because it is used in the context of salvation, the gospel of salvation. And that is how a sinner can be saved and have eternal life. And what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is good news. It is God's plan of redemption in rescuing sinners. But to understand the gospel, you need to understand the bad news. No sinners deserve to be saved because we have transgressed against a holy and righteous God. And God is just and right to punish every sinner and condemn them to eternal eternal hell. And there's nothing sinners can do to save themselves and have their sins forgiven by the holy God. And it's, only, it's not by good works, it's not by our merits, it's not by what we do, or it's not by being religious that can save ourselves. There's absolutely nothing you and I can contribute to our salvation. So there is a sense of hopelessness on our part. A sense of hopelessness, that is the bad news. But here's what makes the gospel such good news. And that is God in His grace sent His Son to save unworthy sinners. He sent His Son to save unworthy sinners by dying on the cross, paying the penalty of sins for sinners, and being raised again to display His great glory before the world. And so when you look back at the cross of Christ, you see God's glory manifesting his love, his holiness, his justice, his grace, his mercy in saving his people. That is why Paul calls the message of salvation the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. And apart from God's grace, no sinners can be saved. And those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus can be saved. And so, maybe there are some of you in this room who are not a Christian yet. And if you're not a Christian, then you can be saved today. You can receive the gift of salvation today. That is God's grace to you. It's free gift offered to you. You have to receive it by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved if you confess this morning, that, Lord, you're my Lord and Savior. I trust in you. Please save me. Forgiveness of sin is made available to you as free gift, if only you will receive it. That's why Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, what you need to know is that salvation is nothing but God's amazing grace. And when you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He will transform you from the inside out. He will perform a, a spiritual heart surgery whereby He removes a heart of stone that is that stubborn is towards Him and He will replace that heart with a heart of flesh that is responsive to Him and a heart that loves Him and desires to know Him. So that's one of the meanings of grace, is God's unmerited favor towards sinners. It's a free gift given to you, even though you don't deserve it. There is, however, another meaning to grace, not just in the context of salvation. As you see here, Paul says, I commend you to the word of his grace. See, what you also need to know is that the whole of the Christian life is nothing but God's amazing grace found in his word. That's why Paul commends to the elders the word of his grace. And this grace is used in the context of receiving God's power and strength for living out the Christian faith. And in this context, this grace is given to the elders so that they can fulfill their God given responsibility in the church in the face of impending danger of false teachers. And this grace is found in his word, in the Bible. That's why we need to read it. That's why we need to know it. This grace can strengthen and edify the spiritually weak. That's what, that's what, the, that's what the word of his grace can do. It does two things here. As, his, as Paul says, it's able, first, is able to build you up. The word of his grace is able to build you up. And this is the same word spoken by Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 18, where Jesus said to Peter that on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church, same word, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, God's word is able to build you up. So long as you take the responsibility and action to be in his word and walking with him and obeying him every step of the way. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, Paul says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and, same word, built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. So that's the first thing that the word of grace can do. It will build you up. It will build up the Christians. It will build up leaders. Certainly, can do, it can do that. Second, it will give us the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In other words, the holy ones of God. This inheritance is promised; is a promise given by the Lord upon sinners' conversion. Now, this inheritance, we can explore that very in depth, but I don't know what the inheritance may be. It certainly has something to do with the kingdom of God. But the Bible tells us that it will be a glorious inheritance. It will be a glorious inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading and it's kept in heaven for all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So his promise is a promise given to all believers. However, we haven't yet we haven't yet obtained it because that will be in the future when we're in the presence of the Lord. In the meantime, we have the assurance that we will share in this inheritance in the future. And that assurance is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Paul says this: In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. That's Ephesians chapter one, verses thirteen to fourteen. See, so long as long as the church is committed to the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. As long as the church is committed to faithful fidelity, to God's truth and sound doctrine, the church will be taken care of by God. Because God blesses the church that is faithful to him. God blesses the church when God's word is faithfully proclaimed. So that's the first lesson, the lesson of exemplary entrustments. The second lesson, or the ninth lesson, pardon me. The ninth, ninth lesson is the lesson of contented character. Contented character. See here, Paul suddenly returns to his personal testimony and appeals to the elders one last time to follow his example in ministry. Paul reminds the elders in verse 33 that he didn't covet silver, gold, or apparel. These three, four items communicate wealth and riches and abundance. Now, in the past, you can sometimes tell if someone was wealthy based on the way he or she is dressed. But why does Paul bring this up? Why does he bring up the whole silver and gold apparel all of a sudden? I suspect perhaps, maybe, it's probably because that's in contrast to the inheritance that God is going to give to Paul. Paul and also to the elders. This inheritance is way better than silver, gold, and apparel. Way better than earthly riches. But more likely, though, what Paul may have meant is that he did not desire or seek after money from his ministry. Even though he had the right to be paid for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, However, he preached the gospel for free so as not to be a burden to the churches that he has planted. In fact, we remember in Philippians that he has learned and developed contentment while he's in prison, that in whatever situation that he's in, he can do all things through him who who can strengthen him. And so Paul explains to the elders and reminds them in verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands, minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. You see, Paul worked with his own hands to make it a living for himself. You may remember that he, that's what he did when he was in Corinth in Acts 18. He was a tent maker. He was supplying for himself. He was supporting himself. But not only that, the text says he was also helping and supplying the needs of those who were with Paul. Most, more, most likely in in reference to his ministry partners and companions, people like Timothy, people like Erastus, and others like Silas. And then when he was in Ephesus, it seems like he wasn't paid for his ministry, but he was financially supported by previous churches. And when he went to Ephesus, it is possible that he may have been given further financial support when he returned to the church in Antioch at the end of Acts 18. But Paul worked hard to provide for and support himself financially so that he wouldn't be a burden to the church. And so here, Paul concludes his message to the Ephesian elders by continuing to remind them of his example. That in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Who were the weak that Paul was talking about? I think the weak is specifically talking about Christians. Sometimes this word, the weak, could mean those who are sick in the church. It could also mean those who were weak in the faith. What Paul might have also had in mind when he said this part is helping the Christians in the Church of Jerusalem through financial means. And so furthermore, Paul reminds the elders the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he, himself, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we do not have this part of Jesus' words explicitly recorded in the Gospels. It's, but it's also, also not surprising because Jesus could have also said this part of the mes- during his earthly ministry, because the Apostle John, at the end of the Gospel of John, he said that there are many things that Jesus said that weren't recorded. So it's quite possible, most likely, that Jesus said it. Either he said it during his earthly ministry, or maybe Paul had a revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's understand what this phrase means and what it does not mean. It doesn't mean that those who are recipients, is less blessed than those who give. It doesn't mean that at all. However, what this means is that it is better for a person who can do so, who can do so to give, to help others, rather than amass further wealth for himself. This is a principle for the Ephesian elders and the ministry leaders. The minister is to be a servant, is to be a giver, not a taker. And as elders and pastors, they're to lead the flock and focus on their needs and be more concerned about giving to the flock than receiving. So we need to be content. That's the lesson of ministry. We're to be content. Develop an attitude of selflessness and not self-service. So that's the ninth lesson. Last lesson. Tenth lesson. It's a lesson of abundant affection. We come to a rather emotional scene. This is an affectionate and emotional farewell between the Apostle Paul and the Ephesian elders. Continued to display his pastoral heart, he knelt down. He prayed with them all. Paul prayed with them. He prayed for them. And I'm also sure that the elders also pray for him as, and for his companions as Paul is going to journey to Jerusalem. They were all weeping. They were all crying. They embraced Paul and kissed him, which may have been a sign of deep affection and love for Paul as a brother in Christ. Furthermore, they were being sorrowful, most of all. They were in perhaps in mental and spiritual anguish. Why? It's because of the word he has spoken to, to them. Not, maybe not everything, but perhaps the main point is that they would not see Paul again, whom they love so much. They couldn't bear to be torn from him, so the elders accompanied him to the ship on his way to Jerusalem. And so can you imagine these elders loving the Apostle Paul and how Paul loved them? And it makes me wonder if there's that kind of affection and love for each other in ministry. And it makes me wonder if we treat ministry as like a business or people as our projects. You know, are we so caught up with serving and doing the work in ministry To the point that we forget that we're supposed to love people whom we serve. And and that we're also to love the people whom we serve with. You see, as a pastor, I want to be able to love you to the best of my ability. I want to be able to love you the same way Paul loved the people whom he discipled and served. Of course, I can't force you to love me back, uh, but these elders love Paul so much. And you know, as we've been studying the book of Acts, not everybody loved Paul. Really think about it. Not everybody loved Paul. Some people wanted to kill him. Some people accused him. Said many nasty things to him. But here, we have such a great display of love on a very rare occasion. These elders loved Paul, they didn't hate him, they didn't accuse him. They embraced him with such deep affection. I mean, if the, if the Lord calls me somewhere else, I wonder if they'll be weeping. Or maybe if you throw a, throw a party and celebrate that I'm gone. But, of course, this is different because Paul won't be able to see them again. They will be far away from each other. But we know as Christians that farewell isn't the end, right? Farewell isn't the end. It's simply see you later. For those of us who are in Christ, it's more like see you later because we will see each other in heaven, in a new heaven. Amen? See, I'm reminded of the passing of our, Lord, of our dear brother in Christ, Horace And If you don't know Horace Lochman, he was a very faithful member of OBC love the Lord, trust of the Lord. He was promoted to glory at the age of 95. What a faithful member, what a faithful brother in Christ at this church, survivor of the prisoner of war. And I remember just before Hor passed away, his son Michael said to him, see you later, Dad. What a profound statement, see you later. So there you have it, brothers and sisters. 10 lessons on ministry from the life of the Apostle Paul. Certainly, we can add more, but we have 10 for now. But when you think about ministry, the word ministry, the word ministry just simply means service. It means service. And Paul's way of serving reflects the message of the cross, don't you think? It reflects the life of Jesus Christ, where he followed Jesus' path of suffering for the sake of others. The hardship he faces in his life are insignificant to, compared to his mission to proclaim the good news of salvation to those who don't know it. And when we read about Paul's desire to finish, his, to finish his course, to finish his race, it becomes even more profound when we consider his farewell words in 2 Timothy, which will be his final letter before he's, he gets executed for his Christian faith. And at that point, all the events Paul speaks of to the to the Ephesian elders have already happened. He suffered. He went through hardships. And now he has finished his course. And he says this in Second Timothy chapter four, verses six to eight. For I am ready Since Paul finishes course, since Paul finishes race, I wonder, brothers and sisters, will you finish the spiritual race that Christ has set before you? Certainly, you cannot do it by your own strength. I cannot do it by my own strength. Ministry is not by our own strength. It's all by God's grace. We do all things by the grace of God to the glory of God, right? That's what the hymn says, the Amazing Grace Hymn. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace has brought me thus far, has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me, if you know what that last word is, will lead me what? Home. It will lead me home. That's where, when we're at home, we'll receive our inheritance. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the life and example of the Apostle Paul. What a great example. There's so much we can learn. Lord, we fall short every day. And again, we want to continue to confess our sins, and Lord, we, it's so natural to, fall, to the, fall into the flesh. So God, help us. Help us as we live out the Christian life. And help everybody who's here in, in this church family who are serving. Lord, there are some who are serving here. They're tired. They're exhausted. And maybe don't know what the future will hold. But Lord, we know that you, you watch over us. You do watch over us. You watch after, you strengthen us when we are weak. That's why we come back to your grace, the word of your grace, which is able to build us up. And we continue to walk by your grace until the day where we can be like Paul and say, I have finished, fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and we will receive our inheritance in heaven. That is what we look forward to. So we thank you for this message. Strengthen us and even renew our relationship with you especially right now as we're given the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper and be reminded of the death, and res- the death of Jesus Christ, his body given for us and his blood shed for us. Help us to reflect upon this truth, the message of the gospel, so that we can renew our commitment to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.